You talk about Holy Week, much of our history, our legacy, our hope as believers is wrapped up in this eight-day period. Today is Palm Sunday, and this marks the triumphal entry of the Master into Jerusalem. And if you'll study the Word of God, and you look at the Gospels and the whole Word of God, you will see that Jesus never, ever did anything by accident. His entrance at Jerusalem was extremely significant. Now, if you look at all of the Gospels, you'll see the accounts of the triumphal entry and the things that surrounded that day and the things that happened afterwards. But I want to take Matthew chapter 21 and begin there. In Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, that Jesus sent two disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Now Mark's account says it this way, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, which no one has ever ridden before. Now this has got special meaning because in the Word of God, anything that was used for a sacred purpose must have never ever been used before for any other reason. Notice with me in verse 3, and it says, If anyone says anything to you, you will say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately He will send them. Verse 4, All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now you'll notice when the Word of God says, spoken by the prophet, it means these events were prophesied hundreds if not thousands of years before. Now notice the rest of the verse. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold your king. Everyone say, my king. Behold your king is coming to you, Lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt and a foal of a donkey. This is literally from Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, where the prophet was prophesying about the coming king. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and he has salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey. Now don't let that word lowly throw you there. The word lowly speaks of humility. When the Bible talks of Jesus being lowly, it speaks of him as being considerate, being gentle, being mild, and being meek. The Jewish zealots didn't want a lowly Jesus. They wanted a warlike Messiah who would use force and bring the Roman government to its knees. But Jesus showed a power greater than an army, the power of humility, the power of wisdom, and the power of penetrating love. I submit to you this morning that meekness is in no way weakness. But meekness is literally power under control. A weak person doesn't go into the temple with a whip and cleanse the temple. I'm just saying. A weak person does not do that. Jesus was a strong man. A carpenter's son. He worked with wood. He framed houses. He was strong. He was not weak in the natural or in the spirit. Now the second time 
that Jesus cleanses the temple, we'll notice it in Matthew chapter 21 in verses 12 through 14. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those that sold doves. Why is this such a big deal? Because these guys in the temple are running a scam. What their sin was, is they were keeping people from coming to God and worshiping God. There were foreigners that came in with their animals. And these scam artists would say, oh, those aren't good enough. Come on over to our table. Spend all your money. you got to get one of our doves. So they were preventing access to the throne of God. And did you know this same thing can happen in churches today? Oh, you, 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 you smell like you've been smoking cigarettes. You can't stay here. Oh, I smell where marijuana on your breath. You've got to leave here. I can smell marijuana a mile away. I was well familiar with cannabis and all such things. But I don't care if a person is loaded attending our church because this church is not to reject people and to keep people from coming to God. The local church is a place for people to meet God, to worship God, and for those that are hurting to find the healing power of God. I'm telling you, there's deliverance in the household of faith. You see, when a visitor comes here, they're evaluating what's going on here. Some are evaluating me right now, the way I preach and the way I teach. They evaluate the praise and the worship team. But they're not only evaluating them and me, they're also evaluating you. They're looking around. And they're wondering, is that person a real Christian? Is that person a love? Is that person a barrier to me meeting God? Come on, somebody. Or is that person a bridge? Is that person a stumbling block or is that person a stepping stone? I know I'm preaching real good right now. We should never point our bony figures, fingers at sinners because we were once one of them. And some of us were chief sinners. Jesus came to seek and he came to save that which was lost. And you qualified and I qualified. But there's nothing but the blood of Jesus that will deliver people from sin and disease. So after he cleansed the temple in verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And we know who the thief is. It's the devil. Those scam artists were not Holy Spirit inspired. They were demonically inspired. He got rid of them. And once they left the temple, notice what happened. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And what did he do? They were healed by the power of God. And this, my prayer is, heart of the bay, would not just be a community of society where we socialize. But this church be a house of prayer. And this church be a house of power. 
And then once people are healed and set free, that this church literally be a house of praise. Back to verse 6 now of our text. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. Why in the world did Jesus ride a donkey? See, the symbolism of the donkey refers to the Eastern tradition that the donkey is literally an animal of peace, unlike the horse, which is the animal of war. They would have much preferred him to come on a horse, him to come warlike, because they were under such oppression of the Roman government They thought that he was coming to upend the Roman government and to turn things around for them. Oh, I submit to you, he is coming on a horse one day. He's coming on a white horse. We could call it Air Horse One. Just saying. Revelation says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it was faithful and true. That's our Jesus. And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. He didn't come as a war-raging king. He came as the Prince of Peace. And in verse 9, in verse 8, excuse me, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? And so the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, when they were saying Hosanna in the highest, this was not just random praise. This was literally quoting from Psalms 118 in verse 25, where the psalmist sawed in the spirit. And he said, save now, I pray, O Lord. The word save there literally is Hosanna, which is our Savior. I pray now, send prosperity. How many of you know when you get saved, it opens unto you a road for you to succeed in life? It opens up to you a road to prosper in life. For it is the will of God that we prosper and walk in divine health even as our soul prospers. But in verse 26, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now notice with me in verse 24, right before they were saying, Hosanna in the highest. In verse 24, read it with me. This is the day. Does that phrase ring a bell? I mean, from the time we were little till the time we got a little bit older, we were singing this song. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord... Maybe we ought to bring that back. Maybe not. (laughs) But when they said, this is it. He's it. This is the day that things are going to turn around. 
And we're going to rejoice. We're going to be glad in it. This is not referring to just any old day. This psalm is referring to Palm Sunday, which was prophesied years and years before in the book of Daniel chapter 9. You see, the same ones that were all excited about him coming in Jerusalem and were saying Hosanna in the highest on Sunday were the same ones who would cry out on Friday, crucify him. What I want you to see is this. I want you to picture in your mind a city full of people who had heard for three years about this man who turned water into wine, who cured the blind and caused the deaf ears to be opened. They had heard about this man that raised people from the dead and healed a man that was crippled from his birth. Some only heard, but some literally had been there on the scene. But this only tells us half of the reason why they were excited. Again, it's because they lived under Roman rule. And they lived in constant fear of a government that hated them and despised them. The Jews were oppressed under their rule. And this prophecy of a soon coming Messiah was their greatest hope. Think about it. Imagine if you were told your whole life that God was sending someone who would overthrow your oppressor and restore your nation to its original glory, you would not be able to contain yourself. They believed that fully in their heart and they just were so excited. Their emotions that day were at a fever pitch as they lined the road that the Messiah would soon travel. What they failed to see was this. They failed to see that before he would reign, he would have to suffer. And before that there was a throne, there needed to be a cross. Before there was a crown of glory, there was a crown of thorns. And so they were wrong in their timing. And many of them were disappointed. But let's talk about this grand entry. It's common in that day to welcome home a king or a hero by laying out a path of branches for the hero, the king, to ride on. Very similar, if you will, to rolling out the red carpet. Now the world in which we live, it rolls out the red carpet, but it doesn't roll out the red carpet for Jesus. It rolls out the red carpet for a bunch of Hollywood stars. They roll out the carpet and in a spirit of idolatry, worship Hollywood stars and worship athletes. Now, don't get me wrong. I like athletes. I like Steph Curry. I like, Dr I like Draymond Green. I like them, but I don't worship them. There is only one that is worthy of your worship. There is only one that is worthy of all of your praise. And what's his name? His name is Jesus. So why did they use these palm branches in the triumphal entry parade? There's a couple reasons. The branches were a symbol of victory. It was a symbol of triumph and of peace. It was a symbol of eternal life originated in the ancient Near East and the Mediterranean world. Even the Romans honored champions of the games. The palm branches symbolized 
goodness and victory. They were often depicted on coins and buildings. If you look at 1 Kings 6.29, Solomon had branches into the walls of the doors of the temple. At the end of the Bible, from every nation, palm branches are going to be raised to honor Jesus. Why don't you just raise your palms right now? Why don't you just wave them around right now? And let's say, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think we can do better than that. Come on, let's give him some praise today in the house. Woo, hallelujah. Hosanna in the highest. Oh my goodness. Just before the, that he entered into the city, coming down from the Mount of Olives, Luke records one of the most powerful moments in the New Testament. Imagine Jesus looking down on the city of Jerusalem, looking at a people that he was absolutely filled with love for. More love than we could ever possibly imagine is how much he loved them and how much he loves us. And yet he knew that the same people would crucify him in a few days. You know, God's love is unending. And his love is forever for all mankind. And his prayer for mankind is that they would not reject him, but that they would accept him. And so Jesus is, up on, is, is sitting on top of the donkey. The scriptures tell us there was a moment that he was literally overcome with emotion. The Bible says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Look with me in Luke chapter 19. Verse 41 and 42. It says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. In other words, if you could only see, if your hearts could only take hold of who I am and what I'm offering you, it would literally change your life. He said, but these things are hidden from your eyes. You know, we could say that when something is hidden from our eyes, our eyes are blinded. You know, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it talks about the God of this world. That's Satan. In whom the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them which believe not. There are so many people today. They're natural men. They're just going through life the best they know how. They have no clue of redemption. And their eyes are blinded. I believe that you and I can pray powerful prayers that will cause blind eyes spiritually to be opened. So that they can get a glimpse of the goodness of God. They can get a glimpse of the glory of God. I submit to you this morning that when people see just how good God is, it will lead them to change. It will lead them to repentance. And so Jesus said, if you only knew who I am, that I am your peace, I am your answer. And yet their eyes were blinded and their eyes were closed. You see... One of the reasons why Jesus wept is because he knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem. 
He knew literally what was about to happen to them in 70 AD, years later. In verse 43, he says this, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And they will level you, not only you, but your children within you. They will level you to the ground, and they will not leave you in one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Dear brothers and sisters, don't miss the day of your visitation. I'm going to say it again. Don't miss the time or the day of your visitation. The Lord is knocking on the door of people's hearts. And oftentimes we think that the knob is on his side. No, the knob is not on his side. The knob is on the inside where we need to open up the door and allow the King of glory to come in. There's a day of visitation. I'm glad I didn't miss mine. Back in March of 1975, when I was in a treatment center, being treated for heroin addiction and all sorts of other addictions, I'm glad that when I heard the gospel for the very first time, yeah, I grew up a certain denomination. I grew up a Catholic, but I did not hear the gospel until I was really ready to hear the gospel. Until I was hurting enough to hear the gospel. It was my day of visitation. Jesus knocked on the door of my heart and I turned the knob and opened up to him. Listen, friends, there's a day of visitation for every one of us. He visits us with salvation, but I'm telling you also, he visits us with the infilling and the baptism with the Holy Ghost. God wants to visit your house. He wants to fill your temple. He wants to cleanse your temple and fill your temple. With, your, with His presence. It's a day of visitation. It's a fresh wave of glory. These are days of heaven upon earth. I'm not going to miss out on what God desires to do in this church or in the earth. Say it with me, Lord Jesus. Help not a one of us to miss our day of visitation. See, Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that the overthrow of Jerusalem would come in 70 AD where the temple was burned and literally the religion of the Jews and the, and the, the, the whole nation was submitted to Roman rule. 600,000 Jews were killed at that time. And I believe this, that just as he wept over Jerusalem, I believe he's weeping over the Bay Area. I believe he's weeping over America. I believe he's weeping over some of the injustices that he sees in America. Our God is a just God. Come on, somebody. But the only thing that will bring a true awakening to every believer and the only thing that will bring a true awakening to the United States of America is the presence and the power of God. It's not a political party. It's not a Democrat. It's not a Republican. It's not an independent. It's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I believe he weeps today. Somebody says, well, what do you mean he weeps? Well, Jesus in the book of Hebrews in 725 says, He is able to save to the uttermost... I was in the guttermost 
And he went to the uttermost to save me. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Now listen, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What we're doing this week by having special prayer meetings, by having intercessory prayer meetings, you may, some, you may hear some weeping between the porch and the altar. You may hear some weeping over the church. But oh, our weeping may endure for a night. Weeping endured for three days and three nights. But hey, early Sunday morning. Come on. Early Sunday morning. He came out of the grave. You see, it says here, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. How many of you want to join us in being people of intercession in being people of prayer if it takes weeping if it takes dancing if it takes running whatever it takes let's do it so the gospel can be preached now I saw something in closing from the amplified version in verse 41 and verse 42 notice this and as he approached he saw the city And he wept audibly over it. Verse 42, exclaiming, Would that you had known personally, even at least, this is your day, the things that make for peace. And then he defines those things that make for peace. For freedom from all stress and distress. How many of you could use that? that are experienced as the result of sin, the law of sin and death, and upon which your peace, your security, your safety, your protection, your prosperity, your divine life, your divine health and happiness depends. What Jesus is saying, your peace depends on you being open to me. But now they're hidden from your eyes. What he's saying is, oh, how I wish that you knew today what would bring peace, but you can't see. And it's the same thing happening today. Unbelief and rejection break God's heart. The world in which we live is not a peaceful place. You better stand on your covenant. You better know the 91st Psalm. You better know the name of Jesus. And you better be pleading the blood of Jesus. Because the world in which we live is an unsafe place. There's crazy people out there. The world and people need peace today. And it only comes from the Prince of Peace. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. That through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And he delivered them who through fear of death 
were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection brings peace, but also brings freedom from distress and fear and bondage of any kind. Say it with me, no more bondage. I've been delivered from the spirit of fear. But guess what? It won't be found in the world. It will not be found in a relationship. It cannot be found in the world. The world didn't give us Jesus. Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. I've written this in my notes. And that is this. Those living under the tyranny of a demonic oppression of fear, Jesus brings freedom from oppression and peace from another world into your world. There's nothing like His peace. There's nothing like His peace. When the world is stressed, God calls us blessed. We don't have to yield to it. We've got someone on the inside bigger than what's going on on the outside. We sing that song, someone on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Some of you may grow, grew up in a home of world champion warriors. Well, let that curse be broken today. Let the middle wall of partition between you and peace be broken today. Jesus said, in me, you have perfect peace. In the world, you're going to have some trouble. But cheer up. Be glad. I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of its power to hurt you and to harm you in any way. Last scripture, John 14 in verse 27. Praise the Lord. Let's raise our branches again. Did you lose your branch? (laughs) Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Let's read verse 27 together. Ready, read. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen.